Father, that's our conviction that your truth is is powerful and ultimately victorious and is marching on. And this morning, we uh, willfully uh, bow our knee to you and acknowledge that above government, above our bosses, above above all authority and power, you stand alone. Lord, we are deeply thankful for our country and the privileges that have been afforded us because we live in America. We are deeply thankful for those that have uh, made our history possible, those that have uh, protected and preserved space for the best parts of our society and our culture. Lord, more than that, we're thankful that we are citizens of heaven and that one day we believe we will be out with you and we believe that that all that is comprehended in who we are and what we were designed to be will be brought into fruition and into light. And this morning we as we celebrate our country and those who have sacrificed for and served our country, we're also mindful that we were made for a different country, and we look forward to that as well. Uh, God, I pray for uh, everyone here this morning. Uh, we're convinced that no one is here by accident. We pray that your presence would govern what we say, what we sing, what we pray, what we do today. And those of us who follow you join together in declaring that in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Clearly, two emails is not enough to get you to wear red, white, and blue. What happened? (laughs) Some of you are doing so, but do not complain to me about how many emails we get when I send you two emails and nobody listens. (laughs) Or thank you for those of you who did. Thank you, Kimberly. Today we're celebrating Armed Forces Day and really delighted to do so. Nate Adcock, our guitar banjo playing aficionado, (laughs) served in uh, the military for a number of years. Nate, when and what did you do? I was a weather guy in the Air Force from 1984 to 1997. So where all were you? Um, I was all over the place. I was in Korea. I was in the Midwest. I was uh, overseas in the Middle East, etc. Okay. Thank you, Nate. <laughs> You're welcome. It's scary up here, okay? <laughs> well, just play, and you can quit talking. Honestly, Christians have often had a problematic relationship with uh, the military. On the one hand, we're commanded not to kill. And Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. On the other hand, in a world bent by sin, our lives must be protected. Justice must be defended, and the best parts of our heritage and our culture have to be preserved. 
so for hundreds of years, some of the best of us have, have uh, chosen to run into the sound of gunfire and bombs in order to protect, defend, and preserve. And it's right and appropriate for us to thank you. So if you've served in one of America's uh, branches of the military, uh, can I ask you to stand? Would everybody stand with me and let's sing. sing the third verse together because the third verse is beautiful and it speaks specifically to our day today. So you may not be as familiar with the words to the third verse and in a sense that will allow you to capture it even more fully. So let's sing the third verse of America the Beautiful. Some of you people have gotten old, that's all I can say. <laughs> so, Eric, this is Armed Forces Day. Give us a brief, what is Armed Forces Day? Well, until you asked a couple weeks ago, I had to look it up myself. <laughs> and uh, it's a, a time to pay tribute to the American servicemen. It was enacted in 1949, and the first time we celebrated was May of 1950. It's the third Saturday, and I don't know why they would make a holiday on a Saturday. Third Saturday of May every year. Yesterday, I, I was really in tune to it, and I, I drove into work, and I drove home, and I didn't pass a parade. I didn't hear on the radio one time that it was Armed Forces Day. I didn't see on TV that it was Armed Forces Day. Mm. So I am very thankful to Pastor Ed and the congregation for uh, paying tribute today. Mm. Thank you, Eric. So... Valerie, obviously you served. 
or you've been to a Salvation Army or something. <laughs> so when and where and, and what? I just want to first say thank you to my 12-year-old daughter, Jackie, who made that video. She did a phenomenal job, so thank you. And thanks to those of you for sending pictures as well. Thank you. So, you know, I had just always been drawn to the military for as long as I can remember. And I started to join and you know, go through the process of joining out of high school, and it just didn't work out, so I didn't do it. Then I met Eric and got married, and we had two little kids and a cute little house, and my kids are about one and a half and two and a half, and I, I just thought I'm still missing something, and I knew that it was I needed to serve. So I went to Eric, and we had a conversation about it, and he said, let's make it happen. We this is utterly amazing. <laughs> so seriously, let me review. You married Eric, which is amazing in and of itself, and... <laughs> the, <laughs> And then you have two small kids. Yes, one and a half and two and a half at the time. And you decide at that point that you want to serve. And so that's when you sign up. It is. Okay. And so from there, that was 11 years ago. I joined when I was 28. And I belong to the New Hampshire Air National Guard. I am in vehicle operations. So anything that has wheels, I drive it from forklifts to tractor trailers. Um, to buses. How stinking cool is it that, <laughs> that Valerie drives that stuff? And now I'm the uh, superintendent of vehicle operations at, um, in the New Hampshire Air National Guard. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So I also know when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Valerie, you said that your service has actually is tied to your spiritual journey. So a word about that? How'd sure. that happen? Um, I didn't grow up in a religious family. We didn't go to church every Sunday. I did believe, though. I, you know, I knew about it, and I did believe. I just didn't practice it. So, you know, 28 years old, I go off to boot camp with a bunch of 18-year-olds. I'm stripped of my husband, my kids, you know, all the love and comfort that I'm used to. And I arrived on a Tuesday, and that first Sunday, my boot camp instructor said, you know, go to church. Everybody should go to church. And I thought, okay. So I go to church, and what happened there was pretty remarkable. It was the first time that I really felt God's presence hmm. in my life, and that began my spiritual journey that I'm on now. Okay. And I came, we came home, and um, Eric and I started going to church together, and it's just been a beautiful thing. Well, we're glad. So. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Valerie. And thank you for helping us with this. All right, so I'm not going to be long today. Let me make a few brief comments that I hope will begin a conversation for us and for you. I'll tee it up, and then I'll encourage you to continue this conversation over lunch and later this week. We can define culture as the beliefs and behaviors and habits and characteristics of a particular ethnic or social or age group. So I remember when I was in the seventh grade, Wolfram Janssen moved in right down the street from me, and Wolfram was from Germany. His father was a German engineer who had moved to the upper part of South Carolina to work in a factory there. And uh, Wolfram started going to my junior high school and had several classes with me. And Wolfram, every time Wolfram got up, frustrated or upset, Wolfram would go, oof, 
and Wolfram also wore extremely skinny, short European pants, which are very in style now, but we were all going for bell-bottoms. So every time Wolfram got on the bus, we would all start snickering at Wolfram because he would have really tight European pants that didn't come all the way down to his shoes, and his socks were like some weird color because Wolfram had different cultural bearings. He was from a different culture. Whenever Wolfram talked about sports, he, you know, he talked about this crazy sport. It's almost as weird as cricket, Reggie. He talked about this crazy sport that, you know, a small, round, black and white ball you would kick with your feet and you'd, you'd kick it into a net. And they called that sport football, and everybody knows that's not what football is. So Wolfram was from a completely different culture. Christ followers have always had a problematic relationship, not just with the military, but Christ followers have had a problematic relationship with culture around them. This shouldn't surprise us. Jesus was rejected by his culture, and he warned his followers of the same. He said this, they've rejected me, they're also going to reject you. And to varying degrees, this has always been the case. Christianity was birthed out of a Jewish culture and had much in common with that culture, but over the time, differences emerged. For example, Christians emphasized the grace of God while they offered a connection with God to all people, regardless of their ethnicity, and soon tensions arose between Christians and Jews, and eventually the Jewish culture tried to eliminate the Christian movement. Then Christianity moved aggressively into Roman culture, and pretty quickly differences emerged. For example, Romans tended to have an uneven valuation of human life. They treated slaves very, very badly. And they often discarded handicapped babies. And Christians would attempt to rescue and elevate both of those populations, slaves and handicapped babies, and they would speak against such Roman practices. So eventually, Rome turned violent against Christ's followers, and persecution was the inevitable outcome. The faith spread to the far reaches of Europe and to North Africa and to the Indian subcontinent, and everywhere it went throughout the centuries, to a greater or lesser degree, the story has been similar. Christ followers have always had a problematic relationship with culture. So how should we think about this? How should we respond to culture, those of us who are attempting connection with him? How should we relate to our culture? Interestingly, one of the most well-known in certain circles, Christian ethicist of the 20th century, a guy named Richard Niebuhr, he wrote a very famous in certain circles book in the late 50s called Christ and Culture. And he kind of outlined five different approaches to culture. And I'm not going to go over everything that Niebuhr says. And frankly, I didn't understand most of it when I tried to read it. But I'll highlight three perspectives for you. The first two of his cultural approaches, I think kind of you see a lot of it today. The fifth one, of course, is the one that Niebuhr would advocate for, but the the first approach to culture, Niebuhr called Christ against culture. And this sees Christian culture pitted against the culture around it, and folks who adopt this view toward culture, they reject culture's claim over us, any claim. So imagine that you're a fourth grader, And you go to your local elementary school, and if you have a Christ-against-culture approach, you might stand up in the lunchroom on top of a lunchroom table and say, you're all going to hell because you don't go to church or read your Bible and you're not religious. And then you might say, we're going to form a separate club because we don't want to do any of your activities or be with any of your activities. Now, Niebuhr would suggest that many social conservatives fall into this approach, Christ against culture. 
Niebuhr admired the courage of such people. He believed they spoke prophetically to the culture, and sometimes that's needed. But he did not believe this was effective in the long run, and he didn't believe this fully comprehended Jesus' approach to culture. The second approach that Niebuhr talked about was the Christ of culture. These people see no great tension between the Jesus culture and the culture around them. In fact, they see the best parts of culture actually being inspired by Christ himself. So imagine a sixth grader walks into the lunchroom and says, hey, come on over to my house and let's party after school. And after party, we're going to do homework. And then we're going to have a discussion about what's most important in our lives. Often, Niebuhr says, social liberals will fall into this category of the Christ of culture. Niebuhr thought these people were often viewed as aligning with the best parts of culture. They made the spiritual life approachable in some ways. But they may have avoided the obvious differences between Jesus' culture and the culture around him, and therefore they may have compromised their message in an attempt to gain more of an audience. Well, Niebuhr summarizes this whole approach by offering... Christ, the transformer of culture. And in short, what he says is, you know, the the idea here is that what Jesus is calling us to do is to be in the culture, in it, really in it, not removed from it, really in it, but not fully of it. We'll be part of the culture, but we're part of the culture in a way that transforms it according to God's purposes. We promote the culture and seek its betterment, but we do it in ways that are in concert with God's will and God's desire. And and that's the spirit behind Jeremiah chapter 29. It's a remarkable passage. Those of you who have been walking with Christ for a long time, you may know this passage. For some of you, there's a verse in this passage that it is actually your life verse. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. Let me set this up for us. Jeremiah is living in an age after, listen to this, Babylon, the empire of Babylon has come in and ransacked Jerusalem and the Israelites. And many of Israel's leaders, political and spiritual leaders, have been forcibly transplanted from Judea to the Babylonian empire. And they've been forced to live in another foreign culture. So how are they to respond? Everything is strange. The language is different. The the customs are completely... The culture is completely different. And some of that is even spiritually based. Some of the spiritual moorings are completely different for the Babylonians. And there's this constant tension for the Jews. How are they to respond to that? Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem. And he's writing to the exiles in Babylon. And he writes this letter that we have in Jeremiah chapter 29. And you know, you guys, I think there's actually a word in this for us today. So stand with me if you would. Let's go old school. I stand out of reverence for God's word, and I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, and I'm going to be reading verses 4 through 14. I'd love for you to look with me. If you've got a Bible out, Jeremiah 29, it'll also be on the screen. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So notice, first of all, Jeremiah is identifying for these folks, you're not in Babylon by accident. God carried you there. Remember that. Here's what I want you to do. 
build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams. You encourage them to have dreams like, oh, you're going to go back to Jerusalem. You're going to destroy Babylon. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I haven't sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come and I'll fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. He's writing from Jerusalem. Don't forget who you are. I'm going to bring you back, ultimately. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Listen, then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may be seated. So, possible responses that Jeremiah could have offered up to the exiled uh, Jewish people as it relates to the Babylonians around them. Possible responses. Number one, Jeremiah could have advocated that they reject the culture around them. They could go live in a monastery outside of the city somewhere, go into the desert, or they could make bombs and assault the culture. This is exactly the posture toward culture that modern-day radical Islam has advocated. Or they could completely lose their identity in the culture. They could become so much a part of the Babylonian culture that there's no longer their own culture. There's no longer God followership. There's just connection to Babylon, but no. It's not what Jeremiah advocates. Jeremiah says, be in the culture. Pray for the prosperity of the culture around you. Pray that Babylon prospers because you're here. I put you here. If it prospers, you will prosper. Dive into it. Make this culture your culture. But remember, God is going to take you to another place eventually. Your place. Your home. Don't forget your home. And don't forget me. Because I will not. And I have not forgotten you. So we're going to say three things really quickly. If you miss everything else, make these your takeaways. Don't miss this. Number one thing that God said through Jeremiah to these exiles, and he's saying to us, in exile. Number one, God knows where you are. God knows your address. He knows where you are. No matter what's going on with you today, God knows where you are. Number two, and you're here on purpose. You're here on purpose. You're where you are on purpose. Number three, if you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. Number one, God knows where you are. My mother, in her failing years, her health was really bad. And I would call her regularly. She was in an assisted living facility. When things got at their worst, my mom would usually say something to me like, but you know, God knows where I am. And you're here on purpose. You're not here by accident. You're not here this morning by accident. 
You didn't come to Armed Forces Day celebration at Gateway Community Church by accident. You're here on purpose. You're where you are in your life on purpose. God carried you here. And some of you, some of you are in exile. Some of you are in a bad spot. God knows where you are, and you're here on purpose. And thirdly, this has always been his promise. If you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. This is true for those of you that are in the middle of your life and you have experienced the death of your dreams. Your plans have gone up in smoke. And you're wondering, what does my life mean? And what have I done? I thought I was going to have these kind of kids, and I have these kind of kids. (laughs) I thought I was going to be at this point in my career, and I'm at this point in my career. I thought marriage was going to look like this, and marriage looks like this. I thought I was going to be married, and I'm single. I thought I was going to be in California, or Georgia, or Texas, and I am in suburban Washington, D.C., where it's too cold, or too crowded, or too busy, away from my family. God knows where you are. You're here on purpose. And if you seek him with your whole heart, you'll find him. This is true for those of you who have moved here from another culture. Nobody here plays cricket. They look weird. Reggie, the Indians might be coming, but it looks like they're pretty uncoordinated when they do. (laughs) I'm just saying. Even those who are great cricket players, looks like they can't control their faces. I'm just saying. This is true for those of you who have moved here from another culture. George Gahungu, God knows where you are. You're here on purpose. And if you seek him, you'll find him. This is true for those of you who are brand new to the spiritual life. You're taking your first steps. You're six months in, or you're a year in, or you're two years in, or you're not yet there. You've been exploring this at Gateway for a while. This is true. God knows where you are. And you're here on purpose. You haven't gotten here by accident. And if you seek him with your whole heart, you'll find him. This is true for those of you who have been doing this for a long time. For those of you for whom this is your life verse, you need to be reminded of this today. You've been at this for 30 years. God knows where you are. And you're here on purpose. And if you seek Him today, you'll find Him. If you seek Him with your whole heart. That's exactly what we see in Jesus. He didn't reject Judaism. In fact, He said to His followers, look, I didn't come to abolish the law because His teaching was so radical. Sometimes they would think, He's completely undoing everything. No, He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. In fact, I came to fulfill it. He didn't reject Romanism. You remember some of you, the story, they showed him a coin, they're trying to catch him. Jesus says, okay, yeah, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God. But he stood apart nonetheless. He constantly maintained his connection to the Father, and he approached culture in a way that was transformative. 
In fact, every kind of exchange that Jesus had with people is so cool. I want to encourage you, if you have not, read the biographies of Jesus. The encounters that Jesus had with people in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are mind-boggling. Always calling out the best in people. Always calling them to something higher and something holier. For example, look at the way Jesus talked about how to approach our enemies. Just a a microcosm, just as an example of how we should approach culture overall. It's just so radically different and transformative. According to Jesus, the way to respond to those who hate you and who hate your cause is not to kill them. Nor is it to remove yourself from them. Nor is it to, is the way to respond to those who hate you or hate your cause to completely assimilate with them and become one of them so they won't hate you. According to Jesus, the way to respond to those who hate you or hate your cause is to love them. This is how to be in a culture in a way that's transformative. Jesus showed us this. Okay, let's end. Let's close off today. I want to close off with a final comment. Again, I'm just trying to tee that up for you guys to think about. But I want to end today with a final comment. Today we're celebrating those who've served in America's armed forces. Now, you could make, and some of you may be making the argument that in relation to this last point I just made, for instance, that these people aren't exactly practicing what we preach or what we're preaching here. They're not loving our enemies. So I want to add a couple of footnotes to this to round this off at the end of this conversation. First of all, this charge to love our enemies as a way of transforming our culture, and I absolutely affirm it and believe it, of course. This is for you and I individually. And those of you who are part of America's military, in your private life, you are called to love those nearest you, even the ones who hate you. This is the call on all of our lives. But this is just one example of living in a culture transformatively. It's also part of our call When we live transformatively, it's also part of our call to protect and preserve room for the best parts of our culture to emerge, to support and to sponsor justice, and to fight for what's right. This is what has driven America's military when it has operated at its best, and this is often what has driven individuals to be involved in America's military. A second footnote, Jesus talked about the highest expression of love. Remember we said to be in a culture transformatively, you've got to be there lovingly. Well, he also made note that the highest expression of love is actually offered to our friends. While we're to love everyone, including our enemies, listen to this. Jesus said, we are to lay down our lives for our friends. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Hey, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. This is what Jesus did for us. And if I can take a little liberty here, I think it's fair for us to say this is, in fact, what America's armed forces have done for us as well. They've been willing to lay down their lives for us. So, once again, thank you. Now, I'm going to ask if the greeters would bring the baskets with the cards down. If you bring those down and start distributing these, give me 30 seconds before you pass, but, but come on down or spread yourselves out. Here's what I'd like for us to end today with as an act of thanks, but also an act of worship. I want you to write a thank you card to an American service person. 
Now, those who are overseas for security purposes, we can't get their names. So you're not addressing this to a person. But that means you've got to go a little extra step to help them feel the impact of what we're trying to say. So in the card, I think you open it up and you say, thank you. And whatever it is you want to say, in my church today, we celebrated Armed Forces Day, and I was reminded of how deeply thankful I am for your service and for your sacrifice. Thank you for where you are. Thank you for what you, whatever it is you want to say. Let's give it a little mustard. Let's let them really know how we feel. If you want to pair up a couple of you, or if a family wants to do this together and somebody write three sentences and then the others of you just sign it, I don't care. Uh, you have about 10 seconds to think about it, and then I'm going to ask them to pass. If you need a writing utensil, Kim and Heather also have writing utensils. We're going to do this right now. Now, here's what's convenient about meeting in a middle school auditorium. There's actually, yes, an arm thing. So you're going to take four minutes right now and write a thank you note to a service person. This is an act of worship and an act of thank you. So be thinking about what you'll write, and let's pass those around right now. I think, Valerie, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think these will be sent to airmen and airwomen. So if you were part of another branch of service, no arrogance. You're all serving equally. I also want to thank you all for participating in this. You don't often have homework when we come here together for church. but Now, we will make a sweep in just a moment. I'm going to shut up in a second. But we'll make a sweep here in just a moment and collect cards from those of you who have finished If you need a couple of extra minutes after we dismiss, that's fine. We'll be in the back. One final thing. Let me have your attention before we get dismissed. So stop your pencils for a second. I feel like an SAT monitor. One of the most important facets of our military, I don't even know the right way to say that, is is the American military has always recognized oddly, oddly you would think because of that problematic kind of relationship, and yet it's an important function of the American military. The American military has always tried to sponsor, not just allow for, but sponsor spiritual development. And it has done so in part through the institution of the chaplaincy. So America's military has a well-formed chaplaincy program, which are men and women who are ministers that are part of the American military and are at bases around the world and even sometimes when forces are forward, chaplains will go with them. We have only 35, but we have 35 chaplaincy cards that will also be in the back. If y'all could have some of those as well. If you are here today and you would a covenant to pray this week for one of these chaplains, please take one of these cards. If you have the time and you're willing to covenant with that this week, that you'll spend time this week praying for one of these men or one of these women, would you grab one of these cards, kind of give this week to praying for this chaplain? If you're not finished, you can stay in your seat, of course, and finish in the back on your way out. It was so great having you all this morning. And thanks for you know, participating with us. Thanks especially, one last time, to those of you who have served us to defend and protect and preserve. Thank you so much. And
It's a joy to have you, and go enjoy this week of May. God bless.